So, elections are an opportunity for a lot of different things. Uh, For starters, the obvious is they are an opportunity to cast a ballot in terms of, you know, a ballot initiative of some kind. You know, sometimes those are on the books and uh, the citizenry is given an opportunity to weigh in. Uh, Certainly, it's an opportunity for us to uh, cast a vote regarding a candidate for whatever office it may be, you know, local, state, uh, federal. Uh, That's certainly the case as well. Uh, With those ballots that are being um, cast, it's an opportunity for us to, um, how shall I say, uh, examine something of our priorities as we're reflecting on, on, okay, what direction am I going to go or not go with this decision, Uh, to examine something of our treasured values, maybe the things that are most dear to us and try and express that in, in what it is that we're what action we're going to take in the course of all that. So there's all kinds of different opportunities, you know, just base level and then larger than that. That's something else to be said, though, and it's certainly become clear in in recent years. Uh, Elections, seasons like this, political seasons like this in our nation, are also opportunities for us to be exposed, for us to learn some things about ourselves as a nation, as a culture, in, in the course of I was going to say dialogue. There's not a lot of that um, in the course of whatever, in the course of people just expressing themselves. Uh, we certainly do have an opportunity to learn a lot about ourselves there, especially given and polls show that uh, most, most feel like uh, that the choices, thinking in terms of the national level, um, the choices that uh, we have before us today are something that a lot of people are not crazy about. Feeling like there's some forced choices being being made there, and a, a lot of a lot of many many poll data much poll data shows, and and uh, maybe you could even speak to this anecdotally. There's a lot of confusion as to what to think, a lot of consternation as to what to do, uh, and certainly a lot of division, a lot of division. Uh, all across this land uh, in these days. It is no stretch to say, in the least, that we are, every one of us, in dire need of the Lord's wisdom and mercy, individually and collectively. We are in dire need of the Lord's wisdom and mercy. Perhaps uh, the ability to reckon with the reality of God in an election. And we have that in, this, in the Word. In no few passages do we, do we see some, some things that help us here, that really prof- help us profoundly here if we will but have eyes uh, to see and ears to hear. Uh, so I'd ask you to turn with me now to Psalm 146. Uh, Psalm 146, that, um, again, is among many other passages, speaks quite powerfully, quite profoundly uh, to this. Um, obviously, we're stepping out of the series and the Songs of Ascent for, the, for this week, and, uh, but still in the Psalms, uh, nonetheless. If you're trying to find this, this is right there towards the very end of the book of Psalms, and we did, yes, Amy, we did sing this earlier, and you are spared of me singing it. Um, indeed, you are. But the Lord is merciful, more than you know. Um, but we need to read it. We need to read it and, and study it and ponder it and let the Lord speak. 
Let's uh, hear now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank You that this upcoming Tuesday, the scope of what is at stake is very limited, and the realities of Psalm 146 are not on the ballot. We thank You that these are eternal truths, eternal bedrock, foundational things that we need to live out of. Increasingly so. May we, by this time, this little bit of time here on the Sunday morning, become increasingly Psalm 146 people, that it would be part of just, just what we are, that we would breathe these things in, that we would live here, that we would dwell here, and then breathe them out in the sense of our, our thinking and our speaking and our doing. Oh, that You would protect us from the very easy temptation of talking about these things and singing about these things and and then putting them in a box, in a corner, on a shelf, when it comes to what we think are the most important things in front of us. We confess that we often have these reversed, and we let the one inform the other in the wrong order. Oh, would you make a Psalm 146 people. Amen. So the mood of our nation is very much informed by the news of our day. And let me illustrate that, if I may, by just recounting for you three news stories just this past week that you may be aware of. Every one of you may be aware of, but we need to see these things as, as, as a composite whole because it's, well, they're, they're part and parcel of one nation, one culture that we live in right now. So here's story number one. The number of early voters just this past week already, last week, reached one-half of the total of votes cast in 2016, okay? Now, that tells you, it ought to tell you, that there's a lot of concern. It's not just people don't want to stand in line. I'm sure it's a bit of that. But there's obviously a lot of concern 
about where we are and where things are going. Okay, so that's, that's story number one. Here's story number two, coming right on the heels of that. One of, there's a surge right now, in the last several days, there's been a surge in internet search engines on this particular question. How do I change my early vote? Okay? So you see, on the one hand, there's a tremendous amount of concern, and at the same time, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty about those concerns, right? Here's the third thing. Police departments around this nation in many urban centers, ours included, are being put on notice to be ready for demonstrations that may erupt in our streets when the results of said election are released. They're in cries, fervent cries, for peace, calm, civility. You kind of get the feeling, it's interesting that in recent weeks there's been a lot of storms, right, coming up from the south, even up on the east coast as well. You kind of get the feeling that the weather patterns are, are gathering and, and there's something of, of, of a storm brewing here. And you can almost imagine that we live as like the whole nation lives on a coastland with this storm coming in and we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to be prepared? How might we ready ourselves for, for that? And, and more specifically as the church... As God's people, as Christ's disciples, we have to deal with that, but also go deeper with asking that kind of question and wrestle with things like this. How do we serve the people around us in such a season? How, do I, how am I called, how are you called, how are we called to love the people around us in the midst of such a storm? Or put another way, in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, what would it mean for us to live in this context in a way that would be like a city on a hill, as salt and light, in a way that would be profoundly different than our neighbors in the midst of the storm. Are we supposed to just be like everyone else? No, clearly not. Okay, then how? What would it look like to be different? And how? What things do we find here in the Word, from the Lord's Word to us, that would in fact shape us and enable us, embolden us, encourage us to live in a different way? So, well, we don't have to go too far. God's spoken. God has spoken. In fact, can we just be so bold as to say He has revealed Himself to His people? He has revealed Himself to His people. And we need to let that shape our approach to this election. He has revealed himself to his people, and we need to let that, let that settle in upon us and as counterintuitive and counter everything as it may be to our bones, let that sink in and reshape us and move forward as we, how we live in the midst of this season. In Psalm 146, we see at least these three things in terms of the implications of this passage. Three different implications. One, one, this has a way of just utterly reshaping our perspective on the whole thing. When you see our times, our days through a Psalm 146 grid, 
it changes our perspective. Secondly, it changes our priorities. And thirdly, it changes our convictions. Now, I know those sound very much alike, right? Uh, perspective, priority, and convictions, but there's some subtle differences between them, and I hope I'll be able to show you as we go through this. So first, the psalm speaks to our perspectives. Now, certainly we see that in the opening salvo in verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So the psalmist begins with this sense of his whole, his whole self exalting the Lord, this high, high, high view of who the living God is. And that shapes everything else in terms of his perspective. This is, in fact, the ground on which he stands, the lens through which he sees and the filter through which he, he hears. Now, how so? In, in two ways. Because when you think about it, you've really only got two places to go in terms of your trust and your focus. You can go vertical or you can go horizontal, and there's really not a third. Right? There's not a z-axis here. There's an x and a y, you geometry people. Okay? So you can look to your left and your right, or you can look up. And the Lord shows us from the start, it is folly to look to your left and right. It is deadly to settle in at that place. You see this with the folly of looking to man in verses 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Who's being spoken of? Who is being spoken of here? Princes? Simply? Yes, it could be people in rule and authority, but really it's just simply those who have power and influence in society or in your, just in your life. Son of man, in this context, is speaking of mortal human beings, finite, fallen creatures like you and me whose breath eventually will depart, whose life will come to an end at some point. There's an inevitability to that. So therein, their ability to do us any good is cut short at some point. Therein, the lesson is don't put the full weight of your hope and your trust and your dependence on them or in their plans and their promises to you because they can only go but so far. Put not your hope in princes or in sons of men. Rather, and this is where the contrast comes in, the wisdom in putting our hope in God. And again, this is the perspective. This is the big perspective that needs to code everything about how we see and think in these things. Verses 5 through 9, this is the contrast you see after verses 3 and 4. Blessed, you could almost put it implicitly, rather, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. This is the God of all goodness. The God of all goodness. The God of Jacob, for goodness sake. Now, do you remember anything about Jacob? This is the God of a scoundrel. This is the God of a liar. This is the God of a cheat. This is the God of a 
a man who was befriended by the Lord himself and whose life was transformed. This is the God of all goodness and mercy and grace. The God of all goodness and the God also of all greatness. The God of creation who breathed and spoke and all things were. And you know what that means? That means talking about Him being the God of all goodness is worth talking about because He will do what He wants to do. He can be then the God of all goodness and grace and mercy because He is the God of all might and power and strength. So the one actually means something because of simply who He is. Oh, the assurance that comes with this. And that therein changes our perspective. If you read Psalm 146 before you read the news, it'll change your life and how you approach these days. If you, when you come to understand something of, of verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which is really the theme of the whole psalm. When, when we reckon with the fact that our hope is not in politics or the outcome of an election, our help is not in city hall or anything that could happen in a Capitol building or square. Our Savior does not come on Air Force One. Our God is not up for re-election on Tuesday. Right? What then does that mean in terms of how we grapple with what happens on Tuesday night? Now, I know it may not be till like weeks after that in terms of results, so bear with me there, but you get my point. How then do we reckon with the results whenever they come? It protects us from going to extremes. It protects us from becoming utterly imbalanced in the way we, we respond, from either, from either collapsing in utter despair, that extreme, or trumpeting and yelling out with cries of victory and triumph. Both of those extremes are completely disconnected from Psalm 146. Utterly disconnected from reality. If we collapse in despair or think somehow now everything is right, both are wrong. The Lord has revealed Himself to us. That's got to have some shaping implications for our perspective on this election. And that then takes us to the priorities because of how He has revealed Himself, who He has revealed Himself to be. That shapes everything about our priorities as we move into this season and continue here. First, we see something of how this speaks to the needs of the defenseless, the priorities of our King. Verses 7 through 9, I'm not going to read it again, but you can see it's listed here, the individuals here, the... Uh, the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the blind, those bowed down, the sojourners, the widow, the fatherless, these are the defenseless, the vulnerable, those who are feeling the effects of the fall, not just because of actions they have taken, but also, equally so, actions taken against them. It's a messy world. It's rarely just one or the other. It's oftentimes both. 
And how does, what is it that they need? What is it that they need? Those who are the most vulnerable among us need sympathy, compassion, action, initiative, someone coming in from the outside. Well, that takes us from the needs of the defenseless to the God of the defenseless because what does the psalmist tell he does in view of their needs? He moves towards them. He moves towards them. Again, look at verses 7 through 9. He he executes, he executes justice. He gives food. He sets free. He opens eyes. He lifts up. He loves. He watches over. He upholds. And by the way, He also brings the wicked to ruin. And so what you can see is, is that His initiative, His help is fitted and matched to the need. Now, why does He do these things? Because of who He is. Because these responses are an expression of His character. He does what He does because of who He is. These actions that you see here in verses 7 through 9 are an expression of our Lord Himself, which then tells us something about what our priorities ought to be as we reckon with what His priorities are. It tells us something of what our priorities ought to be. Friends, we know, we speak about this all the time, we've been made in His image according to His likeness, and we as disciples of Jesus say that we are His followers. We say that we are His followers. Well, then that has to tell us we've got to be aware of and and be walking in according to what we see here, the priorities as He expresses us in the Scriptures. These then become the non-negotiable stances that we won't compromise on. Our King's priorities... As the prophets say, summing them up, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, bringing them to bear in all the great issues of our day, marriage and life and religious freedom, and working through and wrestling through how do those all that come together. I'm not going to sit up, stand up here and tell you exactly how it all comes together. That would, I don't even know. And even if I did, it would take hours. But we have to be thinking in terms of what are our Lord's priorities. And even when those violate, what would be most personally advantageous to us, even when they might fly in the face of what would serve best in our short-term view, our personal peace and affluence, we have to adopt His priorities. And the Lord has revealed these things to us, and that's got to have a shaping effect. Okay, so we see something of our perspectives are shaped by Psalm 146. We see something about how our priorities are shaped by Psalm 146. Last thing, our convictions. How we engage with each other. How we engage, not just with the issues, not just how we see, not just with the issues, but with people. Psalm 146 speaks to this as well, and we need help here too. Verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Now that verse is so, is, is just pregnant with such significance here. There were, the, the, this God of all goodness and greatness, the psalmist says, is the king. He's the one sole, rightful, sovereign king. 
and his rule is eternal. It knows no bounds. It knows no limits. His rule is eternal without cessation, termination, or limitation. He is the king of the king of the kings. His rule enduring and enduring forever. This, and that reign of this Lord, given who and what we're, who we're speaking of here, is then cause for, as you see in the verse, in verse 10, grounds for our praise. Why? Think with me. The cycle is broken. Like, what cycle? The cycle of what we're accustomed to and all these pseudo-saviors that we look to. You see, with Jesus, the one true God, we never find ourselves facing a situation where promises have been made and then are broken. You never have that with Him. You never have a situation where your hopes are raised and then just dashed. Nope, not with Him. You never have a situation where you give Him your trust and then that trust is violated and betrayed. Never with Him. Not with this King. Not with this King. It creates a whole new way forward, a whole new path, a whole new way of thinking and seeing. And that's why there's the praise. The praise unto Him. And Him alone, recognizing who He is and something of His reign, displaces. It doesn't, by that, what I mean is it, it doesn't allow any place for fear. Knowing who's on the throne. Worship has a transformative effect. It changes your convictions. It cha- you know, who and what you follow and look up to changes how you live. How, just the everyday stuff of life. And let me just speak plainly in terms of how Psalm 146, in particular verse 10, speaks to convictions in terms of how we ought to engage with one another in this season. First, there are three. First, a humility towards our stances. A willingness to acknowledge we may be wrong. A quickness to grapple with the reality that given that He is King, His reign is eternal, I am not king. I have no reign at all. I need to be humble about what I think I know and hold that loosely. That's the first point. The second, in terms of application of convictions, not just humility towards our stances, but honor towards one another. Friends, this season, if it's, hasn't been, if it's never been plain to you before, it is very plain now that good, godly people can disagree. Good, wise, godly people can disagree. Don't assume the worst of the other person and just the best about yourself. You need to show honor towards one another. Again, who is the king? 
not you, not me, him. Humility towards our stances, honor towards one another. And one last thing, hope no matter the outcome, no matter what Tuesday results in. Hope no matter the outcome. What does Psalm 146 say? Who is on the throne? Whose reign is eternal? What's up for election? What's up for the decision? What are the implications of all of that? Well, I'm not saying it's, it's nothing. But is it everything? Is it, in fact, everything? The way that sometimes we think and speak and act? No, it's not. This is all under the umbrella, the reign, the rule of our King, the Lord Jesus, who has revealed Himself to us, and that should shape Yes, our perspectives, and yes, yes, our priorities, and yes, 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 our convictions. Look, as we began at the start, let me just reiterate this. There is no sacred, secular divide in life. There's no divide at all. As Kuiper said, not one square inch of this earth that Jesus does not say, Mine! including Tuesday, including the United States of America, including the year 2020, including your life and mine. Not one square inch. Now, if you believe that, what impact will that have on your mood Wednesday morning and your social media post Tuesday night? And then the flow of the week, right? If, in fact, there's no sacred, secular divide, and if, in fact, Jesus is king, will it have any impact, and if so, what, on the flow of your own personal existential week? I'm putting that out as a challenge to myself and to all of you. Because I think we need it. I think we need it. Can we pray? I'm going to read to you as this closing prayer prior to the communion celebration. Uh, this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer it was actually something that we utilized in one of our online prayer meetings a few weeks ago. Almighty God, who has given us this good land for our heritage, we humbly beseech that, the, that we may always prove ourselves a people mindful of thy favor and glad to do thy will. Bless our land with honorable industry, sound learning, and pure manners. Save us from violence, discord, and confusion, from pride and arrogance, and from every evil way. Defend our liberties and fashion into one united people, the multitudes brought hither out of many kindreds and tongues. 
endue with the spirit of wisdom those to whom in Thy name we entrust the authority of government, that there may be justice and peace at home, and that through obedience to Thy law we may show forth Thy praise among the nations of the earth. In the time of prosperity, fill our hearts with thankfulness, and in the day of trouble, suffer not our trust in Thee to fail. All which we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We are continuing in our service of worship here this morning in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And uh, I will explain just the logistics of that just here in a second in case you're curious as to how we're doing that. But first, just let me say, kind of, you know, continuing on with some of the things that we've already been talking about here this morning. Um. As the prophet spoke of, the Lord is chiefly concerned in the the great headings of justice and mercy and faithfulness. I want to talk about justice for just a minute. Um, Basically, justice can be defined this way, giving each person their due. Now, that can be from a negative standpoint. That can be from a positive standpoint, okay? but giving each person their due. And that's really the only way. Justice is really the only way any real society can actually function for just rulers. And Christians have a unique role to play in that, in speaking to that and what, in fact, is is true justice. God is a God of justice. And in case you want the most visible demonstration of that, it's the cross, that which we are celebrating here this morning. Our Lord's once-for-all sacrifice for us upon the cross. That shows that He is a God of justice. Yes, Christians are the most forgiven people in the world, but that's not simply done and taken care of by God just saying, oh, it doesn't matter, it's okay. He can't do that and be a God of justice at the same time. But rather, Jesus live the life we were supposed to live in our place, and He died the death we deserve to die, you and I, every one of us, in our place. And in that, justice is done. Justice is is served. Now, therein, we can live as people freed and forgiven. It's interesting, you know, this is, this is, uh, yesterday was Reformation Day. And so some of you may know that Martin Luther, this was such a key thing for him and his really his ability to grapple with these things and actually come to understand the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17, where he came to, to see finally what it actually means. That in the, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, for Luther for so long, He couldn't get past that because all he could think of when he thought of the righteousness of God was the punishment of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God, and he'd had enough of that. And he couldn't see how that was any good news at all until he began to understand the righteousness of God is about the cross and Jesus living and dying in our place, and that's the power of God for salvation, and that's why the gospel is good news. And that's why we can say, yay and amen to the God of justice and mercy. 
just in mercy towards us. That's what this table is about. Let me read to you these words from Paul, who not only wrote Romans, but a book called 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 11, we read these words, "'For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, "'This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me.'" In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is a time that Jesus intends for us to be reminded of what He has done for us and refreshed in the reality of what He has done for us. And He's giving us this gift, this time, this sacrament because of our perpetual forgetfulness and dryness of soul. We are constantly needing the reminder and the watering, if I can put it that way, the watering again and again and again. Now, if if you're here this morning and and you're not a believer, you're not a Christ follower, you know, earlier we were reciting from the Apostles' Creed, and maybe you found that to be interesting, but it's not where you are. Okay, you're in a great place to be thinking about that, to be processing these things, and I really would encourage you to find somebody to talk to. I'd be glad to talk to you. But if that's not where you are, if that's not your conviction, then to take of the bread and the cup now, you understand, of course, wouldn't make any sense. It really would be offensive to the Lord because you're not ready. You're not ready. Take some time to process this so that maybe next time we do this together, you will be ready. If you're a professing Christian... Also, clearly, there's a warning here that Paul gives to all of us here. If there is an area of your life you know yourself to be in willful rebellion, stubborn disobedience to your king, again, the call here is to abstain, to not take the bread, to not take the cup, to do business with him, to repent. Again, this is his grace to you. These regular times of examination of the heart, he loves you so much, he's saying, stop, think, process here. This is a sweet time, friends, for us to be reminded of the most important essential things, to be refreshed in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And it's so real that He speaks these things to all of us. Just stop, think, reflect. Um, Okay, if I could ask my fellow elders, if you guys could come on up here, let me explain logistically how we're going to do this over the next few minutes. We've got four sections of of seats and four tables. What we're going to ask you to do is come up row by row, okay? Household by household within each row, and then take of the bread and take of the cup, and then go back and seat yourself. And start at the front row with each section, you know, that section with that table, you get the idea. Row by row by row, starting in the front, going to the back. Once all the rows in the room have uh, served themselves, then I'll ask the guys in the back, the AV guys, to then come forward. And then once they're done, the worship team, you guys, then come on down here and serve yourselves. And the elders, we will serve ourselves 
And in the midst of all this, I would also add this, that when you get the bread and you get back to your seat, feel free to go ahead and, and take and eat when you're ready, but the cup we're going to hold to the end and do together, okay? I know it's a lot. Just follow the person next to you. Maybe we'll figure it out, okay? Maybe. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You for loving us so. You know our perpetual, ongoing need to be reminded of what You've done for us. You've made us as creatures, sensory creatures with eyes and ears and uh, noses, mouths. You are bringing us into this experience holistically, uh, something of a meal, anticipating a greater meal in which, at which we will need no more signs and no more symbols because we will see You face to face. And we look forward to that. Help us to look forward to that more than we do. And in the meantime, we ask that You would use this time, truly, Lord Jesus, our minister, to minister to our hearts, to bring comfort and conviction, stealing and softness where we need it. You are our Psalm 146 King. You are the, the noble who knows no limits. You are the Son of Man whose breath did depart, but who returned from the ground and the eternal reigning King. Praise you. Amen. Okay.